Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here in the studio to record a different kind of podcast. Wisconsin Lutheran College, like all universities, have suspended face-to-face education due to the spread of the coronavirus. Online education is the norm for a while, so Wade and I have decided to team up and record some audio for our students in lieu of classroom lectures. It's not ideal, but we think our discussions will be better than hastily made videos in which students have to look at our ugly mugs as we drone on without the benefit of a live audience. If you're an audit student, we hope that these will be beneficial to you as well. And even though they're not an exact classroom experience with visuals and discussion, we hope that these episodes will give you an insight into the type of fun we have here at WLC. We're going to call these uh, the series of uh, podcasts, COVID-19 Online Learning. And if you are a subscriber, first of all, thank you for subscribing to our podcast. But you may get uh, blasted with a lot of these different uh, uh, COVID-19 online learning series. Uh, You can ignore them if if you want, um, but you certainly can uh, drop into the discussion if you want. It's just easier to put it all into one feed. It kind of gets complicated to have another feed and blah, 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 blah. So, um, And maybe uh, a tip with that too. Um, Sorry to interrupt, Mike, but if you're getting these, for instance, in iTunes, Hopefully, just in general, you don't have your iTunes set to download everything you subscribe to um, in perpetuity. That can take up a lot of space on your phone. But my suggestion would be if you, um, in the near future, you find there's too many things coming through, please stay subscribed. We really appreciate that, and um, we hope you will. But um, what you can do is if you go to your iTunes settings, you can set it um, for custom, and you can set it to only download or to not download at all or only download the two most recent um, or only keep for a week, stuff like that. Uh, so you can do that to keep you from downloading everything. We'd hate to lose subscribers because of this. Um, but the easy thing to do as you look for an episode is if it doesn't have a theology course name in it, it'll still say episode or wing in it, and you'll know that that's what it is. We plan to do some episodes still as it goes. But as Mike said, we're really scrambling to, to get stuff out. Um but I know some people, you know, your phone storage starts filling up and you get nervous. Uh, that's an easy way to kind of remedy that while staying subscribed. We do apologize for the difficulty, but if we're going to have these be <clears throat> available for our students in ways that they can easily get them on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, it's just way easier for us right now to use and you might about, you might as well listen. What else you got going on right now? Yeah, right? and almost everything we're going to be doing, you'll be able to follow along with. Um whether or not you've done readings related to it. So we hope that listeners do get benefit out of a... You're going to have almost daily content yep. uh, for the next... Uh, Probably the rest month of the and semester. A half, two months. So, uh, you know, we're hoping it's a resource that can be used and that our students maybe next semester could go back to in a supplementary fashion too. All Sorry right. for interrupting you, Mike. Philosophy 202, <laughs> apologetics. We have gotten to the part in our course where we are going to take on anthropological arguments. Um, I've shoehorned some arguments under this broad topic, uh, anthropology. Just think study of man, uh, mankind. But the actual anthropological argument proper is really probably better known as the moral argument for the existence of God. And so we're going to kind of go through that. And um, instead of, like I said, just me droning on for a little bit and my students having to listen to me, uh, Wade has been gracious enough to come on and We'll just kind of have a discussion. I've never been called gracious before. Thank you, Mike. Oh, I'm sure you've been called I've gracious. Never been, that's a word that's not been applied to me. <clears throat> Are you sure? I'm sure. I Well, I often talk about, like, if someone's like, hey, do you know Wade? I'm like, he's a gracious man. That's well, the first thing you. that comes out of my mind. Yeah, my, that makes my, my day. Mouth. Yeah. Um, I'm a text Trisha until I <laughs> No, I bet she's never called you gracious. No, she hasn't. She called me something this morning, but I won't say what it was. <laughs> she wasn't being very gracious, was she? I would say still being married to me is kind of inherently gracious. This is gracious. true. This is true. She is a saint, Saint Tricia. Um, so the anthropological argument, and the moral argument for the existence of God, um, we'll kind of go through it, and then uh, we'll just kind of have a discussion. We think that'll be kind of better, um, a better learning atmosphere than a, a straight lecture in this in this sense. So the moral, the basic moral argument goes like this: If God does not exist objective moral values and duties do not exist. Objective moral and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. And it's tight logic, but we have to talk about 
both of those premises. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist, number one. Now, notice we're not saying here, you need to believe in God in order to be a good person. That's not, that's not the argument here. The argument is just a logical one that says there has to be a reference point outside of two people that they both can point to for an objective look at anything, let alone uh, a moral right or wrong. The second premise objective moral and duties do exist, at first glance seems maybe a little bit, well, are you sure that they actually exist? But I think anytime we say that's not fair, or anytime we say that's wrong, we are appealing to an objective moral sense and a sense of duty. Like it's, it is the duty of um, the government to do something in a certain circumstance. Uh, circumstance. It's the duty for a parent to feed and clothe their children, those kinds of things. And I think most of us would agree in our day-to-day life that that is true, I'm, and therefore God I'm exists. I'm supposed to feed and clothe my children? Well, Tricia does. All right. Okay, good. So, um, at first glance, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that tightly logical argument, Wade? I mean, it, it's... Well, I think the distinction you made is important that this, um, that it's not an argument that you can't be quote-unquote, a good person uh, without believing in God or without God. Because I do think sometimes the moral argument gets presented that way, and it can be unhelpful. And offensive, really. Uh, right. Um, because there's a – are you hearing me, by the way? Mike? I am hearing you. Okay. Um, you know, the, when we speak theologically of civil or civic righteousness, right, we acknowledge that people can be good citizens or good neighbors – while not having passive righteousness, which is the righteousness received through faith. and In short, what I'm saying is we do recognize people can be good people or good neighbors horizontally here mm-hmm. um, apart from it. And so uh, I remember, I think it was last Christmas, so the Christmas before, one of the atheist groups in Michigan um, had a billboard up as I was driving down uh, 94 that said, be good for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. And what they were getting at is, uh, you know, we'll just be good to be good. You don't have to have somebody in the sky threatening you mm-hmm. into being good or, or anything like that. And so I think that misrepresentation of the moral argument is out there a lot. And it, um, and so I think it's important for people to understand that's not what's being argued. I guess what we would say in that sense is that the, um, the atheist, while not affirming a source of morality, is still using mm-hmm. uh, the morality to operate the same as if I somehow were to deny that my iPhone came from Apple, mm-hmm. um, but still use the operating system, whether or not I believe my iPhone came from Apple, guess what? It's it's gonna work mm-hmm. um, just fine, and that's a bit simplistic. Um, as far as the, the the more advanced argument that we do operate within these things, I mean, I think here it's similar to what we talk about in some other classes with natural law. There are things that we just see people appeal to across time and across cultures that have commonality. Um, stealing is wrong pretty much everywhere you go. Now, stealing might be defined differently. Mm-hmm. Um, what is considered private and what is considered public varies by culture. Um, in some cultures, parts of your own house might be considered public, even though they're your house. You know, it might not be uncommon for people to come into a large waiting area in your house without asking. Um, think of uh, beachfronts in America. We right there's you can have a private beachfront. There might be other places that say you can't own the beach. The beach is common to all. Um, so how we define what you can own and how you can own it might vary. But pretty much every culture is going to say don't steal. Pretty much every culture. If I have a spouse um, and someone else uh, is intimate with that spouse, you see how I used a euphemism in there, Mike. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be upset. Now, how you define adultery might change. In the Roman world, for instance, the potter familius, the head of the household, it might not have been considered for adultery for him to have sex with his slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he had sex with someone who wasn't part of his house, mm-hmm. that was still considered. There was a, there was a place at which it became mm-hmm. wrong. Um, and so I, I think, uh, you know, it, it seems to me you're much more educated on this particular argument that there would be parallels there. Absolutely. And uh, that, that kind of leads us into uh, a, a, an extra question about, well, then, 
how do we how do we make laws? And we'll get to that in a second. Maybe, maybe I can step back a little bit and and just talk about the basics just a little bit. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. The moral argument obviously isn't an argument that you have to have the Christian God, the triune God, you, Father, Son, and Holy yeah. Spirit. This is just an argument for uh, divinity. Yeah, and we could say, and and we could say God up there, uh, you know, whatever force you're, Zeus. To, yeah, whatever you're thinking about. We've, you know, in our class, we've already done the cosmological argument, and we've gotten to the point where, okay, there is a beginning, therefore there had to be a beginner, or it's just basically con- contingency or whatever. And we said, well, what would that beginning beginner look like? And powerful outside of time and space in some sense, intelligent, Jewish. And we would say, we would say a person with a mind, like a mind or a person. And so we, we said Jewish because of Jesus, just to be clear, I wasn't trying to like, (laughs) and we eliminate an impersonal force, at least at that point. Um, so we, we can call, uh, he or she God, you want to call it something else, fine. But we are nowhere near Yahweh, right. and we're certainly nowhere near Jesus Christ. None of these... Um, so the way I divide up um, uh, my course in uh, for apologetics is... And I'm just asking for yeah. listeners oh, who no, haven't absolutely. been in it yet. The histor- no, that's a good point. I, I divide it up by the classical philosophical arguments, cosmology, teleology, anthropology, and ontology, and then I add historical or evidential apologetics, and I shoehorn things in there. The historical uh, category is where you can get to Jesus, specifically the resurrection, and we're engaging in historical texts. Those other arguments don't get you to Jesus; they just don't. Um, they are much more philosophical. They're only—that's why we call them uh, arguments for the existence of God, not necessarily of Jesus Christ. Underneath those, we can start talking about, okay, here is how Christianity fits into this and seems to be a better worldview to answer these questions. For example, um, when we talk about morality, as much as the church has screwed up and Christians are sinners, there is a Judeo-Christian ethic that a lot of people, let's just say, take for granted, even if they we reject the existence of God or reject Christianity. But back to that original point about uh, the moral argument can, if we imply it's kind of like Christians are better than everybody else. A, that's not gospel oriented. B, that's not very helpful. C, it's not the actual argument. And D, it can very easily turn into a spitting contest, right? And so the atheist says, um, let me just look at the Catholic church's, um, um, record on sex abuse game over right if it's a if it's a spitting contest um, we all lose right we all lose so what we're just saying is that there must be a reference point outside of us to say that's right and that's wrong maybe later we'll get into and i may do this and we'll see how much time we have in this one um this episode we make i may kick this to an episode on the new atheist but to bring up other ways people have said here is morality without objectivity that we can still have some sort of object morality without actually calling it object morality and and we'll see if the discussion takes us there if not we can, can I ask a quick question Mike? sure what about um, if one were to argue that rather than a traditional deity although in the Greek sense this is um, kind of a personified thing reason as the yeah and the I think you're just kicking the can down the road I mean, you're still saying there's something outside there's, of yourself. Yeah, there's something outside of their self. Because that would be meaning reason, not like just how each person reasons, but kind of this platonic notion platonic that, there's, notion of that we reason. can arrive at objective things or a yeah. Kantian no, yeah. you know. The, yeah, so two ways you can think about that. Um, you know, first of all, I would I would press the issue and be like, well, who made the reason? Who right. invented the reason? Whatever verb you want in there. And I mean, in the, in the Greek sense, there's a, a logos. Yeah. This is something outside of ourselves. An order, an orderer. And how beautiful then John says, right. the logos became man. I met him. He's a person, um, which is quite profound. Uh, the other thing is, okay, is there a set reason? Like there's a rule that would be probably more akin to the Greek concept of of logos. But there's also... Can, another way kind of like a it's a little fuzzy like there is such a thing of as reason and we can come to conclusions via reason so it's not like there's this 
platonic ideal necessarily, but because we are reasonable creatures, we slowly evolve to this sense of morality. Now, okay. However, I would push that a little bit and say, but you still can't say there's actual morality that's objective. You're just saying the group has decided that this is good. And how do we decide what is group? Is it a hedonism, which is just basically trying to mitigate as much uh, pain and uh, elevating as much pleasure? Is that really kind of an all-encompassing way of thinking about uh, a morality and humanity? What about suffering? Is it just meaningless? Um, so there, there are different avenues there that, uh, that people have tried, but they can never get to an objective right or wrong that's outside of us. And I think there's some, some problems with that. Again, with all of these arguments, and I tell my students every class period, there's no home run in this. There's, there's no slam dunk. There's no these. home run on either side. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just about having a discussion and really saying this idea of God becoming man, logos, love, sacrifice, all that kind of stuff fits better with the way we think about right and wrong or thinks fits better with what we think about as science what we think about philosophy, how we think about culture. It just seems to be a better fit. And hopefully you break down barriers and then the spirit can do his work of giving, giving faith. Thank you. And I'll stop interrupting now. No, I just, no, it's fine. No, I thought background do. for people that. Absolutely. Familiar. I think that's good. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's similar arguments too, like the argument from truth, right? Um, if there is truth out there, there must be, there must be something we won't, I won't bore you with, with going through all of the premises on, on those. Uh, what I like to do when I uh, t talk to the class and uh, doing presentations is, um, you know, if, if imagine we're in a room and there's a mouse that runs, scurries away, and then a cat comes, plays with the mouse, then kills it, doesn't eat it, just kills it and like brings it to us or something like that. Why don't we throw that cat into kitty prison? But if a human being did that to another human being, we would be rightly outraged and call the police and we have prisons for people like that. What's the difference, right? And so those are kind of the questions you say, instinctively we understand that there's a difference here. Why is that? I mean, we could go down the, the argument of, of the Imago Dei, the image of God and the importance of human beings over animals, but just the very fact that we say that's wrong and over here we say that's not wrong and that's pretty universal, then why? I mean, we talk about our differences all the time, but have you already mentioned cultural to culture, there are certain things that are universally wrong and that it's not due to cultural borrowing or sharing, right? It seems to make sense that there was a natural law. It seems to make sense that there is a conscience that's you, that is, uh, universal. It seems to make sense that the law was given and handed down through the generations so that there is this sense of a moral law even going back before the Ten Commandments. It seems to make sense a little bit with the Christian worldview than any other way. Let me, let me go through. I would like to go through this one. Uh, this argument does not presuppose objective morality. It's uh, the argument from conscience. Everybody has a conscience. It is fairly universally accepted that one should follow their conscience. There are only a handful of possible answers to the question, from where does this authority, this conscience, come from? Option number one, from nature. This would be an argument that, similar to, we all have this reason, and so we're naturally moving towards some sort of morality. But nature is something less than me, and how could I be obligated to something less than me? Option number two, from myself. But how could I obligate myself absolutely with authority? Option number three, from society. That's something equal to me, although I suppose that could be argued. So the society, well, we're going to come back to that one. Uh, this is kind of legal positivism that the group says this is right or wrong. But that's, that's equal to me in a certain sense, or I'm a part of that, that becomes problematic. And then option number four is from the divine. That's something more than me. And I think it's probably the only one left and it makes the most sense. And so 
without saying that there's an objective morality, oh, I think uh, I think it's part of the, part of the, the the story here. There is an authority authority which obligates us, and that argument comes from having a conscience. So that's another way to think about it. I, I'd like to say this though: when it comes to log logical positivism, and then moral or legal positivism, the argument goes like this. There is no objective morality, but we as a group have decided that this is right and this is wrong. So the classic example um, would be uh, the Nuremberg trials after World War II. What gives us the right to go into a sovereign country, i.e. Germany, and say that they were wrong? And technically you could say, Germany never did anything wrong. They just changed the laws before they did it. I mean, that's maybe an over-exaggeration, but... Um, well, and I mean, that's an important argument, though, because uh, if we say legal means moral, we're in some big problems. Yeah. We're having some big problems because, um, and I mean, Hitler's the classic case. Everything Hitler did was de facto legal, in mm -hmm. a sense, because of the the fear principle, the fear principle, mm -hmm. the leader principle. And <clears throat> Dr. King points us out in letters from a Birmingham jail that just because something is legal doesn't make it just, right, but sorry. Right. So then how can, uh, how can um, the victors of this war th uh, throw uh, Nazi leadership into jail when technically they didn't do anything you illegal, right? Or going so far as to execute them. Um, and so what we came up with is a human rights court or international law. So there's a law above the law. Now, the problem with the law above the law is who gets to decide by what laws do we, do we abide by? Are they going to be American laws? Are they going to be Chinese laws? Are they going to be Soviet laws? Are they going to be British laws? And you have to have everybody say, we sign up to this. Um, but then again, we are, our society is saying right or wrong. And what gives us a society to say, that we are right or wrong because the society uh, in Germany said that this is right. Um, so the law above the law, international law, which by the way, you could see this coming, who really doesn't like international law? Well, Americans, <laughs> because we have, we want to maintain our sovereignty. So do other nations as well. And so it becomes very problematic. Not only that, but who is going to who is going to um, uh, adjudicate, who is going to follow up, who is going to, uh, what is going to be the force? Is there going to be an army that forces these laws, a police state or something like that? So it becomes very problematic. Another problem, even if you're not convinced with what I'm saying here, and by the way, the law above the law, there needs to be a law above the law above the law. And that's where we're finally getting to that there has to be, there's a moral conscience, there is a God, there is something outside of us that is objective, and we all know it, even if we don't want to admit it. If a certain state or a certain tribe or a certain group of people say, here's our rules, it's wrong to murder, racism is wrong, whatever, um, fine, but those are based on laws above the law. But let's say there's another group that says, um, Here's our laws. For instance, um, if you're African-American in the South, in Jim Crow, or before the abolition of slavery, um, you would have, nobody would have any right to go down to the South and say, you're wrong. How could one tribe say to another tribe, you're wrong? If morality is based not on an objective sense outside of us, but it is only what the group makes uh, makes up for itself. So you have a real problem with social reformers or moral reformers. They don't really have a right to say that's right or wrong if the group has already decided what is right or wrong. So I think in these arguments, you go right for the jugular and say, uh, you know, there's no, you can't, you can't have a civil rights movement. You can't have um, international law. You can't have war crimes or anything like that because how dare one group say to another group that they're right or wrong when there is no reference point outside of both to say that. So that becomes very difficult. The best you can do is you're going to say, well, we're evolving because we all have this thing called reason and we're getting to the point where we are going to say this is, this is the best way to do society. Um, 
but you can't say that the racist is morally wrong. You can only say that person is backwards or that person is not evolved enough. And that becomes very problematic. It's not, the basis is not, that is heinous. Slavery is heinous. Race-based slavery is absolutely immoral. You can't say that. You just have to say, well, we're going to wait a while and we, we're eventually going to decide that, that for the whole group, it's better that we have this equity, right? So um, uh, moral reformers that... Can I just get, quickly... Go ahead. We both are against race-based slavery, though. Yes, yes. we are. Okay. Um, you, <clears throat> I just, because you said it, you can't say it's wrong, but right. we do say it's wrong. You can't say it's wrong if you don't have... Because I want to say it's wrong no matter what. Moral. Yeah, you do, but you have to ask yourself why, right? Why? So um, it becomes very difficult to, to for social and moral reform. Um, the best you can say to repeat this, the, the best you can say is that somebody hasn't evolved enough. We haven't gotten, you'll be on the wrong side of history. Yeah, that you hear kind people of thing. say that a lot. Or, um, and then how do you, if you've, you decided, okay, we have reasonably said this is the betterment of society, that there would be equity. Notice that equity is not something that is ingrained and a right but it's something we've decided that is good for the whole. Like it's good for the whole that we don't have race-based slavery, which is a hard argument to make if you um, own a plantation in Alabama in 18, 1849, right? I did not, by the way. Uh, neither the did I, although you have Southern roots, so I don't know. I, I do have some unfortunate, <laughs> very unfortunate ones. Um, so notice that you you undercut your very argument by saying, this is just better for society if we do that. And how are you going to enforce that? Instead of, like Dr. King in a Birmingham jail speaking to white Christians, this is our heritage, this idea of, of justice. How are you going to enforce this? Well, it's in the word. You're going to have to do it by force. You're going to have to say to those people down there, this is bad for you. And this is bad for society. And if you don't change, we're going to force you to do that. We're going to force you to change. And then you have arguments about, well, what is good and what is bad for society? And, and you see that getting played out through the history of America and really the history of the world as we decide what is good for society and what is bad for society. You really do a disservice by undercutting objective morality because then you are only who is in power gets to enforce that. And then you're really, you're really into this idea that, that uh, the will to power becomes something that uh, replaces morality. Um, so the law above the law, that kind of thing, I think is, is, is very, very important. Um, Wade, I, I would like to maybe just kind of go through a few things that are kind of tricky uh, situations for, for Christians in particular. Um, slavery is one of them. Um, doesn't the Bible say slavery is okay? Um, racism and sexism, doesn't the Bible say, go kill all the Canaanites? Do they not uh, oppress women in, in the Bible? Um, we may even think about environmentalism. Um, can there be such a thing as a Christian envi environmentalist? So um, I don't know if you have, if you want to uh, start off with one of those, um, we can just kind of go wherever you want. You're asking for my... Well, kind of exegetical take someone, on these things. Or someone said, "Yeah, it could be whatever you want." Someone <clears throat> says, "How I can't, I can't look at the, I can't accept the Bible as God's word because it seems to uh, okay slavery." How sure. do you, how would you answer that question? Sure. I, well, I would say we read any document um, in the light of the age in which it was written, and God has a habit um, throughout history of working uh, with and in and through the people of that time in that place where he's working. Um, and so we see the general trend of the Old Testament in all of these things is God cautioning and trying to, cautioning against um, or trying to temper the way in which some of these things were practiced. So for instance, um, the Old Testament and God's Mosaic Law is extremely progressive for the time mm -hmm. when it comes to how you treat the foreigner in the land or the, the slave. And there was even instances where if a, if, a, if, a son, if a father died and no sons, very early on in, in numbers, the property would go to the woman. 
right to, to the daughter. Yeah, and, and so this is the same as um, in in almost each instance of um, what we would call social issues. The Bible's progressive for the time, but we have to remember that the ancient Near East was was not. Um, you know, the 20th or 21st century nasty place, Western liberal democracies. Um, And uh, I think we have to remember as well that uh, problematic social behaviors exist certainly still today. Um, While we will condemn slavery, we will buy products that certainly involve Mm -hmm. slave labor at some point. I won't, uh, you always get mad when I get, all union on you. No, I like the unions. Um, but, uh, I mean, you could even make arguments uh, for what has been called wage slavery, uh, <clears throat> that certain aspects of the wage system and how it is carried out um, are in and of themselves oppressive or coercive. Um, that's not to say because there's injustice today that would uh, validate injustice in the past. That is to say um, that God works with the people when and where they're at. And so I think a, a, a helpful way to think about it is when you get to the New Testament and you have someone like Paul. Well, the Roman state uh, is a slave state. In fact, in some places, more than half the people would have been slaves. Uh, not slaves like in America. America likes to go big or go home. And we did slavery about as bad as anyone has ever historically done it. Right? Yes, it would be it would be an insult to those people who suffered to compare um, American slavery to... Uh, it's the slavery of the ancient world. The Greco-Roman slavery, yeah. right. Um, it was uh, chattel or shadow slavery. I can never say that word right. Um, it was racial slavery. It was uh, perpetual, right? The children of slaves were going to be slaves. Uh, and um, and so this, uh, we can't think through that lens and we're thinking of ancient slavery. But even though slavery was legal at the time, I think first Paul's reaction in, in Philemon uh, is to encourage Onesimus to kind of say, if he's your brother in Christ, doesn't it make sense to set mm-hmm. him free? Mm-hmm. So Paul makes a theological argument within the le- legal framework of his day. And yet at the same time, as the Christian church um, comes into an ascendant position in the Roman Empire, especially under Constantine, um, we see under Justinian and other emperors, uh, the Christian church works to do away with the slave system. Uh, I think Dr. King would be a good example of this too as a Christian theologian. Um, he works through civil disobedience within the framework of the American government, nevertheless, to make theological and philosophical and thoroughly American arguments uh, against, um, you know, racial laws that existed still in our country at this time. So uh, I would say, A, um, we have to read the Bible in the light of the time and the practices that existed. Um, I mean, there's human sacrifice being carried out at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, warfare was... Now, an argument could be made that warfare is more cruel today because it's less personal. We can send a drone and, and uh, you know, ha- have a long-distance war and kill thousands still, and and we don't have to actually confront it ourselves as a general public. But, um, I mean, you look at many of the practices of the day, and they're, they're extremely brutal. They're harsh and cruel. Um as far as the the wiping out of the of the Canaanites, I'll be quite honest. Right, this is a a problematic part of the Old Testament for us in the twenty first century. As we look at, it. Um, it was for Saint Augustine. He really struggled with the God of the Old Testament um, as he came to to faith. Uh, but even there, this was in many ways the the nature of war at the time. And we have to keep in mind that that God was setting aside a nation for from which the Savior would would come. And the practices of the people in that land were so um, inhumane mm-hmm. and were so contrary to the natural law um, and to reason uh, that that we see, even with all the measures that were taken, the Israelites are led into this again and again, that they have to be warned about things that we would think you never have to be warned about today. I, I know, Mike, to steal a line from you, I mean, just think about the fact how many times in the Old Testament God has to tell people not to have sex with animals. Because mm-hmm. uh, somebody was doing it. I've never once had to bring that up in a sermon or had a pastoral <laughs> counseling session where I had to right. bring that to someone's attention. And so it, while we, um, there was no way uh, for a prophet to come 
I mean, God, I guess, could click his fingers and this happens. But, but otherwise, to, to work within means in a fallen world, keep in mind, his remedy for a fallen world is to send a savior, not, not to create a utopia here. But um, no prophet was going to come and, and uh, suggest the American Constitution in 600 B.C. Um, no prophet was going to come and, uh, you know, be able to institute a Bill of Rights mm-hmm. um, in, you know, a bicameral legislature and uh, checks and balances in government. It, it just it wasn't on the agenda. And there was no capitalism. Uh, labor was carried out just by nature of the work that was done especially in a agricultural society uh, through these social stratifications. And, uh, you know, even at Luther's time, we might not call uh, the peasantry slaves, um, but they were far from free. Mm-hmm. But the economic and social system of the day, that's what was geared towards the type of production that was needed for society. Um it's really the development of capitalism that enables people to have uh, the freedom uh, to move, to change careers, to do what they do in our own day. And so I think a knowledge of history is very important for that. And remember that uh, Christians are always living in an eschatological sense, like th- this is not my ultimate destiny, right? This is, this, is a, this is a time of toil here under the sun. And so they're looking for something, something better. Yeah, I think it's a couple things to remember is the slavery of the ancient world, it's, it's, we would not agree with it. It's not good. It's not great. Neither was polygamy. Um, um, but there is a time that God is quite patient and he, uh, he's dealing with what he's got to deal with to get his stuff done. And and even Jesus says, do you think Moses did this because it was ideal? Moses did, for instance, with divorce laws, Mm -hmm. Moses did what he did to at least keep people from being more harmed than what they were before. And we see the law as a curb that way rather than, oh, we're going to follow it and going to be holy. Right. right? The, 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 uh, the, The message is we're all a disaster here is your savior, right? And I'm going to get that savior. Um, and it's, it's going to, it's not going to be pleasant. So to, to, you know, slavery is bad, obviously, but it's more closer to indentured servitude there. Some slaves were part of the, considered part of the family. Um, still Many not slaves great. were doctors, philosophers, yep. very educated. So there's a lot that you could say. I was, And, and a, we're talking about Greco-Roman slavery, to be clear, too. I'm not talking about Assyria, right, Babylon, sure. Um, Old Testament. I'm, I'm yeah. talking about Paul's context. Where you are going to, you, you know... You know who was a slave and became a great philosopher and was set free and began a philosophical school? <laughs> the uh, great Stoic so, Epictetus. Epictetus, that's right. Um, Wade, if you're just picking up, uh, we've been doing a lot of podcasts and Wade's trying to bring in Stoicism anywhere he can. Um, yeah, so you, you could, in some say cases you could be an employer you could be a part of the family you could be set free you could buy your freedom all these things it's an insult to uh, the race-based american slavery which is remember the race racism as we know it today is probably more post-lightenment not that they were american slavery where there was a reticence even to let the the blacks become christians right um for fear of you know the moral questions raised by well should we really be enslaving other christians there was an inconsistency that was recognized um, they were purposefully not educated. Um, yeah, it, it just, and that's not to, to bash on, slavery's been done very badly, very many places, and I'm against slavery on the whole. In fact, I'm even against wage slavery um, in certain contexts. <laughs> we, we, we are quite, but, we, are, um, we, are, we are left of, let's say left of center on certain things when yes, it comes to economics. Um, or at least I am. But Some, uh, some things. Yeah. Yes, but... Uh, but this is, um, so just to be clear, we're sp- speaking specifically about Greco-Roman slavery mm-hmm. and comparing that to um, slavery in America. Yeah, so that's just an historical point of view you have to understand when you think about this. Uh, the second thing is the, the, the ancient world is pretty much a, a heinous place. And there is progress. I mean, I don't like the idea about moral progress. Like all of a sudden we're going to come to a utopia. But there is moral progress. In some things, in some things we go backwards, and, and it's and it's a up and down kind of thing. But now, it is, like if the Secretary of State is going to be removed from office, they're not given the option of killing themselves rather than being killed. Right. They just 
retire and like get a gig at a special interest group. Right. It's it is not socially acceptable to be a racist in public. Fifty years ago, it was right. I mean, there's a certain progress there, and I think we have to humbly, as Christians, say, where does that come from? I don't see that from a material only view worldview. I don't see that coming from the great atheistic states. There is something, I think, rightfully due to the Judeo-Christian worldview. Yes, there are many Christians who, who practice slavery in a heinous way. They're evil, they're awful, they're terrible, they're sinful. But it was also the Christians who worked most, most uh, uh, <coughs> passionately for abolition in different places, not just in England and America in the in the nineteenth century. You'll you will find you'll have a hard time finding any group in which there is complete consistency amongst those claiming to belong to it in their behaviors. Um, if we were going to use that as a, st- a strict standard, um, we would not be able to have any government, any mm-hmm. um, institutions at all. Um, you can find plenty of Republicans or Democrats who would then discredit those parties. Plenty of people in government who would discredit the idea of government. <clears throat> There'd be no education because you'd be able to find plenty of teachers who have done wrong. Mm-hmm. There'd be no grounds for having parents because there's abuse of parents. Um, it'd be, it, the the truth claims have to be separated from the individuals that claim to hold them. And the worldview that says this 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 is a this is a problem sin that we cannot get out of ourselves and there's a there's a solution that comes from god is uh so much more geared towards freedom peace and progress than uh it's just crappy out there good luck right and we'll get more into this personally later in the semester when we talk about the the theology of the cross and specifically the problem of evil we'll also later on take on the uh, uh the challenge is god a moral monster um, we've talked about the, the racism and leading to slavery. I think I don't want to uh, repeat this again, but the same can be true about um, an overly patriarchal uh, world and the rights of women that if in an historical context, uh, uh, the Jewish people and then Christians in a lot of ways were quite um, progressive, if you want to use that use that word. Um, and then with, with Christ saying that in Christ, there, or St. Paul saying in Christ there is no male or female, that's quite radical when you, when you think about right. it for the time. And we don't want to get all postmodern, but just briefly, and then maybe Mike, yeah. don't even let me take you down a rabbit hole here. But yeah. um, <clears throat> we sometimes often have to realize that not everyone who's reading the biblical text is reading the biblical text um, outside of their cultural or historical background. And so, for instance, when it comes to uh, men and women, we always have to ask ourselves, to what extent am I reading the text in a historical grammatical way, and to what extent am I reading it through the light of Victorian values or the 1950s, or um, someone in the East may be reading it different than someone in the West. And so, and that's, and that's, not, um, that's not postmodern, but it, it sounds postmodern to some. Uh, but, for instance... Um, a woman in the marketplace and what would what would be um, issues of headship or what's a woman's proper role well that's what is the marketplace what's the economic system the Proverbs 31 woman is doing a lot more than the woman would have been doing in uh, Victorian England right um, and so that too we always have to be it's a it's a lack of reverence for the Bible to to simply read it through one's cultural lens and not read it carefully for the principles that are being set forth and then applying them. And we are hyper-individualists in America, and um, and there are plenty of cultures who would not see uh, 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 feminism as a good thing in America because they're more collectivist, they're more about the family, they're more about a group. And while we find that very problematic, and in some cases it absolutely is problematic, there is kind of a, a, a movement, and there is always this kind of idea uh, hanging out there. Um, this hyper-individualism is bad, and they don't see it necessarily as individual rights in the way we do. They see it as a hyper-individualism is bad for the group and eventually bad for women, too. Those are debates that go yeah. on. And there's, there could be arguments in certain waves of feminism on the flip side. 
are extremely helpful from Absolutely. a biblical view because they uphold. Um, I know both Mike and I, neither of us would want our daughters subject to some things that people have held to be, um, you know, kind of truths regarding the, the place of women um, that we would not hold today. I mean, we want our daughters in school. We want our daughters going to college should they want to go to college. Um, you know, so uh, this is, uh, we always have to be able to, and we recognize this usually with other things. For instance, when there's constitutional debates, uh, we recognize there has to be debates about things that the fathers couldn't have had. What are privacy laws online? Mm-hmm. The fathers had no, they couldn't fathom an internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you apply that? And, and that, I think, comes up with, with a lot of issues. Yeah. Let's end on this before we get too long, is uh, the question of environmentalism. Um, sometimes uh, conservative Christians kind of fight against the environmental movement, but I think there's a good, I think it's a good question to ask. A- actually, that Christians probably could be the true environmentalist uh-huh. and that a material-only worldview type person that... And what I mean by that, that was kind of my shorthand in the class, that I only believe that there's the material, there is no soul, there is no God, there's no angels, there's no spirit, there's no objective morality and stuff like that. That That's maybe not even the best way um, to look at the environment. If I'm a material-only view, the, envi- the, the environment's all we got, <coughs> yep. right? And, and if I don't really have this underpinning of morality, I may be cutting my cutting the limb where I'm sitting on when I argue for we have to save the environment for the future. Well, why should I care about the the future if I'm just trying to survive? Is it that I have this survival mechanism? And then you eventually say, well, maybe we shouldn't have children. Maybe we should get rid of, uh, you know, the elderly. Maybe the coronavirus is just the natural way of thinning the hurt. I mean, you I'm can waiting get for someone to argue that. Yeah. You can get into some really crazy things. So you can have one side where, let's just take the coronavirus as an example here. You can have one side, uh, uh, ultra-conservative Christians was like, clearly this is God's evidence that America is uh, being to fill in the blank. This is God's judgment. You can have the other argument say, this is just the natural way of things, the thinning of the hurt. Why are we fighting this? Right. And I'm so trying to stay appropriate right now. You're going to, I can where, use some illustrations. Where so. are you in? I don't know where you are in that spectrum, but I'm perhaps a little bit towards the middle. Um, so if I see the environment as gift, and we've talked about this in many podcasts, as gift, not something to be used, not something to be dominated. Um, and, and that's where words kind of funny because we do have dominion over this world. Um, <clears throat> but there is a good case to make for a Christian environmentalism. This mm. is a gift. Genesis 1 and Romans 8. This if is we could for ever... other people, yeah. Sorry. Okay, Go and ahead. you're going to cut me off on that. Do, do cut me off before I get myself in trouble. If we could ever read Genesis 1 and 2 besides simply as fuel for great debates about creation and evolution, mm-hmm. like, and read it recognizing Moses didn't at all write it anticipating debates about creation and evolution... I'm not saying there shouldn't be debates about that. I'm not saying it's unimportant more to, to teach it. people about it. Yeah. <clears throat> but if we read it for what he's doing, um, there's kind of this thing in there about Adam and Eve been, being given the earth to, to tend to it and dominion there as stewardship, not merely like domination, like, hey, the Saginaw River for a while didn't catch on or you know, wouldn't freeze in the winter and used to catch on fire. <laughs> That's not a good thing. Right. And you read yeah. Romans 8, and it's not just us who suffer in a fallen world. But all creation groans. So, yeah, I think there could be a, a Christian argument there. I, 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 I don't know if God said this or not, but I think at least once he called his creation good. Yeah. As if it was a gift to us and it was to be enjoyed. And it was good. I don't know if he did that or not. I, I'm pretty sure it's in there. Like, I wish he would have made a bigger deal about Like, repeated that right. it was good and stuff yeah. over and over again. That would have been nice. So... I think we can... And I'm not saying that you have to be against plastic straws. No. But I mean, at the same time, probably don't throw them in the ocean. But what's what what I've always noticed, too... Yeah, always notice that's a dumb way to say it. I've noticed, and I think you have, too, that environmentalism on the far left... Can become religious. Becomes religious. Yeah. I mean, in just the way of the... It's, an, it's a gospel truth. Do well, it not, becomes apocalyptic. Every religion apocalyptic? has... Apocalyptic? Every religion has apocalypticism. 
Yep. And there are there's going to be evangelism. There's a gospel truth. It's apocalyptic. There's commandments. It's, it's very eschatological through the whole thing. There's going to be rules to abide by. There may be even some worship kind of going on. Think of Gaia and the, those kind of things. I had once where I had uh, this uh, poor girl <coughs> called me up uh, and as when I was a pastor and said, you know, in two weeks, it's Soil Sunday, and we have a sermon for you and, and Sunday school materials that you can want. And I kind of said, well, we preach the gospel here, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, um, if we're going to harp on some of the bedroom sins, which we which we have to and, and we shouldn't uh, soft pedal those, um, well, you know, there's other yeah. things out there that we need to be aware of. If I'm concerned about my neighbor, I maybe would be concerned that we keep putting like industrial waste and all the bad environmental stuff in poor neighborhoods, right. which clearly impacts their health. Right. And I think the way, and we've talked about this before, how do you, how do you as a preacher do this without making this political or making it just law? Well, it's in the context of vocation, right? We're free from the burden um, of saving ourselves and justifying ourselves. And so I don't have to, I don't have to find my value in being in over in a rabid environmentalist or a rabid whatever, pick your cause left or right. But that in the context of vocation, I have a neighbor. How do I do this? And the context is this world has been given to me as a gift. And so I think there's actually a better way to frame an environmental uh, path forward from a Christian worldview, just as it was better for Dr. King to say this Christian, white Christian America is, is your heritage. It is our heritage. It's about right and wrong rather than it being just simply about power. So, Hey, thanks for coming on. We're about out of time right now. We're going to come back with a, with another episode, uh, for apologetics, uh, coming out probably, in, uh, in a couple of days. Um, but thanks for Wade for coming on. This is all about freedom, of course. And so until the next time, uh, we get to, uh, be together remotely uh, via technology in this uh, coronavirus pandemic scare, let the bird fly. And what, okay, go ahead. I won't Just a stop. reminder to Mike's students, and Mike, remind me to remind mine. When you go to the podcast feed then, so my suggestion to Mike's students, it's up to him if he makes it a decree, I've made it a decree for my students, would be that you subscribe to the podcast. When you go on your um, smartphone or tablet, you'll say, show all episodes. There will be in the headings when I'm producing these and uploading them. This one will say, for instance, Philosophy 202-Audio 001. Or is this the second one we've done? This is the first one for apologies. 001, and then a colon or something like that, and then the title. Um, But we will also have a picture that will go with each class. So Dr. Berg will be picking a picture that will be constant for every audio file we upload for this class so the easy thing for you to do then will be to scroll through look for that picture and you know that's one that um dr berg is expecting you to listen to i'm sorry for no perfect and uh i'll probably i think i got a picture of like uh paul on mars hill or something like that but you'll get it there's the apologetics kids are smart they'll figure it out i trust them yeah so until next time let the bird fly